Amen. It's so good to see you this morning. Excited about the church. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. And, and let's lay hold on the Lord this morning and meet with Him. I want you, if you would, to turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're just going to read one, one verse to start with this morning. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It's a question. He's asking the question, why are you calling me Lord, Lord, and yet you do not the things that I say? Someone asked, once asked George Mueller what was the secret of his service to the Lord. And we know the life that he had. We know his, his service to the Lord and, and the, uh, the orphanage there in London and so forth and how God used him. Tens of thousands of people through their lives that were helped by George Mueller. He was a Christian man. He was a godly man. And he replied when asked later in his life about the secret of his success, he said, there was a day when I died, I utterly died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower to where he almost touched the floor. He says, I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. It's a question of lordship. Jesus died to be Savior and He died to be Lord. And Jesus Himself in the garden says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. His own Father, the Son of God, coming and facing that cross, I'm so glad it was His will. It was the Father's will and not His own. I'm so glad that He surrendered and submitted to the Lord. But Jesus died to be Savior and Lord. He's actually called Lord more times in the Bible than He is Savior. And we just sang that song, I'll just say yes. And he didn't know what I was preaching on and I didn't know uh, what the music that she had prepared, but it's, it's wonderful how the Lord ties so often ties those things together. But it's a question of lordship. There's, this is a struggle. There's a struggle for the heart of man. There's a struggle between God and Satan, our adversary, and you are the prize, and I'm the prize. And it's a, it's a, a matter of a struggle of light and darkness, of good and evil. For what's the struggle? It's the struggle for the heart of man, the worship of man, the devotion of man, the life of man being given over to one or the other. Everybody, you've heard it said before, everybody's going to serve someone or something. Everybody. Those that are atheists, they're going to serve something. They're serving uh, something already. Everybody will serve someone or something. And you don't have to turn there, but it says in Romans 6, the Scripture says, Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield yourself to, that's whose servant you're going to be. Whatever and whoever you and I yield ourselves to, that is going to be the Lord of our lives. That is going to be our Master. And it's a lie of Satan 
And He has fed that lie from the Garden of Eden and He's still feeding it now to people. And so many people are gobbling it up that we can basically determine our own destiny, that we're on, uh, in charge of our lives, that we will have the rule and reign of our lives, that God will be, I mean, man will be as God. That was a lie that was told uh, to Eve in the garden. You shall not surely die. That's a lie. Even if there was no more to that sentence, because the Lord says the day you eat it, you're surely going to die. And the devil says you shall not surely die. But God knows that the day you eat of this fruit, that you will be as God's, as the Lord, knowing good and evil. And that appealed to Eve. And she took of it, ate of it, and gave to her husband. And he ate of it. The eyes of them were open, but it was not like they thought it would be. It wasn't all wonderful uh, like they thought it would be. Everybody is going to be under the Lordship of someone. Everybody. Unbelievers are under the Lordship of someone. And so it's a question of who to whom will you and I yield ourselves to? Where is our allegiance? I'm talking about our total allegiance going to lie. Is it going to lie wholly with the Lord? And I want to tell you that it is an absolute joy you know this, and you could preach this to me, okay? But this is what God gave me for this morning. It's a total joy to live your life wholly or completely for the Lord. It's a joy to live our lives completely for the Lord. Nothing else matters. And I want to tell you, it's a joy even in the midst of this life. As a Christian and as believers, We've given our lives to Jesus. We're born again. It's not even a question anymore. We're going to heaven when we die. Our sins are forgiven. The Holy Ghost lives inside of us. But you and I as believers go through heartaches, don't we? We go through trials. We go through adversities. We go through great sorrows as believers. And it's still a joy to live for God. It's still a joy to know Jesus. And I always remind myself of this. And if I'm counseling to someone else and the Lord brings it to my remembrance, I'll remind them as well that I would rather be going through my trial or trials or heartaches or suffering with the Lord than without. He never said He would absolve every trouble that we have. He never said that. In heaven, there will be no more sorrow. And He's going to wipe away all the tears. And we'll know Him even as we're known of Him. And we're going to walk on streets of gold. And we're going to be in a glorified body that doesn't get sick. And there'll be no temptation of sin and no sin and no devil and no uh, protest against the American flag and everything else that's going on. But in this life, we have it. We have it as Christians. We still have it. And it's still a joy to live our lives holy for God. It's a joy to know Jesus and to live fully surrendered to Him. We have sickness. We have great pain. We have great loss. Any of you in this room as a believer experience great loss in your life? I have. We experience that. We experience uncertainty as Christians. We expect as we experience as believers rejection by friends and loved ones. It is still a joy to live for Jesus. Fully surrendered to the Lord. It's a joy because He gives that joy. And it's a joy in knowing Him. And it's a joy in keeping our eyes upon Him and having Jesus and walking with the Lord every waking moment of our day. And while we sleep, He watches over us. It's a joy. I want you to turn to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And I want to read just the first five verses of this chapter. David says in Psalm 30, verse 1, I will extol Thee, O Lord, 
For thou hast lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but, but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That is a promise from God. That is the Word of God that abides forever. And that's what He tells us. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning about total surrender to the Lord. Absolute surrender to the Lord. And that total surrender to Christ and total devotion to Jesus Christ as a believer. I'm not preaching to the lost man right now. I believe this is a message for the believer, for the Christian, but total devotion to Christ is the only right way for a man to live. I know you know these things, but it's the only right way for a man to live. This is what God requires. This is what God requires of those that come after Him and follow Him. And nothing else will do. I want to read an illustration here. Uh, Adoniram Judson, the great Baptist uh, missionary, when he was young and graduated from college and seminary, he immediately received the call to go be the assistant minister of uh, a real upscale, uh, reputable church in Boston. And everyone congratulated him. His mother and sister rejoiced and said, oh good, you can live here at Boston and serve right in this church right here in town and do your life's work right here. But Judson shook his head and said, my work is not here. God is calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in His ministry, I feel would be only partial obedience. And I could not be happy in that. Although it cost him a great struggle, he left mother and sister to follow the heavenly call. The upscale church in Boston still stands rich and strong, but Judson's churches in Burma had 50,000 converts. And the influence of his consecrated life is felt around the world. And so, absolute surrender. He was a Christian. So it wasn't dealing with this in this illustration, this real life that happened with Judson wasn't dealing with him going to heaven or hell. It was dealing with his surrender to the Lord and to the com- a complete surrender to the Lord. He could have served the Lord in this large church in Boston, and yet he knew in his heart, and we have to know it in our hearts, amen? We have to know it in our hearts. But he knew in his heart, he said, my calling lies beyond the seas. And so now what are you going to do? It cost him something. How many of you know it cost something? Amen? It costs something. And yet it's worth it. If you ask him, was it worth it? He would say yes. Was it a joy? Yes. Did it cost something? Absolutely. It cost something. He left his sister, his mother, his family, everything that was familiar to him, and followed the call of God upon his life. And there's no place or no allowance in the Bible. You can look at it from Genesis to Revelation. You're not going to find... And a, a place given or an allowance given for a man to live with a partial commitment to Christ. And we see people that live with a partial commitment to Christ, and I've done it and do it times in my life, but it's really not a place that's found in the Bible. Right? You don't see that. Uh, the Bible makes no provision for that kind of life. 
It's not like the lost and the saved and then the halfway saved and the halfway committed and the partially committed. There's not a place for that found in the Bible. Uh, the Bible makes no provision for a compromised Christian life. You won't find it. You won't find it. You'll see examples of people that did that, but the Bible itself and the eternal Word of God given to men does not make an allowance for that. It's not there. A compromised, quote, Christian way of living is not found. Now, you'll hear churches and you'll hear pastors, especially in our day, I'm thinking it's every day, but especially in our day, that offer that type of life. And they'll tell you, Anna, you can live that way if you want to live that way. We'll, we'll read Christian books and authors and music groups that will tell us that we can have our cake and eat it too, that we can have Jesus Christ and all that's in the world for the most part. Few things maybe ought not do, but that's the way uh, Satan has polluted and perverted the Word of God, and people don't know the Word of God, and so they make exceptions and allowances for it, and they believe that come to, uh, next generation comes to believe that that's Christianity, and it's a compromised way of living that is not found in the Bible. And we need to have personal revivals. You know, we talk about revival in the country and a revival in the world and a revival in our city, and we need it. But we have to have a personal revival in ourselves to where we're excited about Jesus, not just emotionally stirred up, but in our hearts. We're consecrating ourselves to the Lord more than we ever have before, and we're doing it with joy. And we're doing it by faith, knowing that there's a great reward coming because He's worth it. And uh, this world... This church world today makes allowance for less than a full, fully consecrated life to Jesus Christ. But God's Word does not do that. Okay? The world will say, well, God wants you to be happy. And if these things in, in life and in the world make you happy, then go after those things, as long as they're not too blatantly sinful. But that's not what the Word of God says. The, word, the Lord came to give us joy. Happiness and joy and these things are byproducts of knowing Jesus. It's a fruit of His Spirit and a walk with the Lord. Jesus didn't die to make us happy. He died to make us His and to make us holy, to make us part of His family. And in being part of God's family is the joy. It's unspeakable that the world knows nothing of and can know nothing of and will never even taste of that until they give their lives to Jesus. So the world can have its moments of of happiness and pleasure, but so much of the church world is indulging in these things and in offering it as being uh, Christianity, but it's not. In, a, in, a, in one sense, a man is either lost or he's saved. If he's lost, he's without Christ. He is in his sin. He's separated from God. He's not part of the family of God. The Bible says the wrath of God abides upon him. I always think about that like the wrath just hanging inches above his head and he doesn't know it. Just going through life, maybe ignorantly and maybe in rebellion or defiance to God knowingly. But either way, a lost man is living on borrowed time because the wrath of God literally abides upon him. It's there wherever he turns and whatever he does and whatever choices he make, makes. When we come to Christ, we're forgiven and cleansed and we don't no longer appointed uh, to the wrath of God. We're free from our sin and all of its consequences. But a man is either lost, separated from God and His Maker, <clears throat> or, he's, or he's saved. 
And in being saved, then we're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, part of the family of God, and we're walking with Jesus. In that walk, God does not make a provision for a compromised life. He just does not. It's not there. I lived that way for about five years of my life. And it's not, it's not given in the Word of God. It wasn't given to me. God brought me out of that. I could have like a dog returned to my vomit and gone back into that life of sin. Or I could have come on, come on with the Lord. But He was not going to leave me where I was. And the same will be said for you or any other believer. Jesus did not <clears throat> excuse me, hang on a cross, a cruel cross, and die between two thieves at the hands of sinful men when He could have rescued Himself at any moment. He didn't die on a cross for our sins so that you and I could walk in a partial, halfway committed life to Christ. That's not why He did that. He didn't die on the cross so that men would merely like Him. He died that men would love Him with all of our hearts because He already loved us before we knew He loved us and before we loved Him. He didn't die on a cross and hang between two thieves so that men would be halfway committed to Him or walk part of this way with Jesus, but that we would walk all the way through this life with the Lord, serve Him all of our lives. He didn't die on a cross so that we would serve Him while it's convenient. How many of you know what what I'm talking about? There's times when it's convenient to serve God. When we need a Savior and we're lost in our sin and we realize it and we're the fear of God and that's a wonderful thing smites our hearts and we call out to Jesus. It's convenient right there that He's right there and we can call upon Him. Amen? Or we're going through life and someone gets in a horrible accident or our children are hurt or sick. It's convenient we want a God who's right there. We want to serve God at that time. But God didn't die on a cross so that we would serve Him when it's convenient to us. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He is the the Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. I know you've heard that before. But He gave us all His very life to reconcile us to God by the blood of His cross. That's what the Bible says. To reconcile us unto our God and Maker by the blood of His cross. And in that reconciliation, there's a relationship that started that we didn't have before. The Bible says our relationship with God was we were enemies of God before. We were strangers and built strangers from the promises and covenants of God, having no hope in the Lord, uh, I mean in the world, and apart from God. And being reconciled to Jesus, we have a relationship with Him. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 21. Now this is a familiar passage, very familiar, but Jesus died and rose again And this is during those 40 days, right at the end of those 40 days that He was on the earth, appeared several times to His disciples, at least three occasions that we know of. And as far as we can tell, this is the last occasion He appeared to His disciples. And He has this little discourse with Peter, the Apostle. John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? This is the question that the Lord wanted to leave him with. This is the question he wanted answered. Jesus knows. He wanted 
Peter to know. He wanted to think about it. He wanted to see the importance of it. He wanted to, to make that commitment to this question. Lovest thou me more than these? He didn't just say, do you love me? Yeah, we love God. Do you love me more than these other apostles? Is what he's asking in that first question. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my, my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And so it's a question of love. It was important to the Lord. It's a matter of love. He had walked, Peter had walked with the Lord for three and a half years. He had denied the Lord. He'd come back to the Lord. He'd take up a sword and want to defend the Lord when they arrested him in the garden. Um, he had great zeal. He had made that great profession of faith. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord commends him for that. He said, the Holy Ghost revealed this to you, Simon. He was a follower of the Lord. He was committed to Jesus Christ, but it was a question of his love and devotion to the Lord. Because just prior to this, Peter said, I'm going back to fishing, right? I'm going back to fishing. And so, because he had denied the Lord and was ashamed. And, and so for them, maybe he didn't feel... Uh, that he could could serve the Lord faithfully, but uh, it's a question of of a relationship with God and a com- total commitment to the Lord. There's that's why Jesus died to be Savior, the Savior of all men, and in being Savior, to bring in that a man to that relationship where Jesus Christ is Lord over that lives life. If, if you're dry, drowning in, in the ocean and someone in the boat throws over a life raft or one of these life vests or a little, those rings you hold on to and they pull you in, you're not committed to that life raft for life. It's, it was there for that time and you needed it and it was spared your life. That, it was your Savior and whoever threw it up, over helped save your life and you're thankful for that. But you might go on and live your life however you intended to live it before. But Jesus Christ said, He is Savior and Lord. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He saved us from our sin. He saved us that He would be our Lord. And the Lord of our lives all over every area of our life. And God brings us into this relationship with Him through the blood of Jesus Eternal life, a relationship between a man and his creator by faith in Jesus and his blood. It's a union and it's a relationship with the Lord. And y'all, it, it surpasses. And this is we need to weigh it. We need to see it, think about it and understand it. OK, the relationship that a man has with God far surpasses any other relationship that a man can have. There is not a higher relationship. I know you know these things and they're simple, but at the same time, it's what we have to uh, realize and, and, and step up and understand there's not a higher relationship that I can have. So if I'm pursuing after something else more than I'm pursuing after God, I'm pursuing after something far less, lesser, a lesser value of lesser quality. Uh, Jesus Christ is better, like we've been studying in Hebrews, Okay. He's better. So my relationship with this uncreated God, 
by faith in Him. This one that loves me while I was a sinner, He loved me. That is the one that I ought to be pursuing after. That a man, He saved me unto Himself. He didn't save me and say, okay, you're fine. Go on out there now. You're safe and rescued now. Go out there and go get him, tiger. You know, he saves us unto himself. And there's not a substitute for that relationship. You won't find something better than that. You won't find something better than Jesus. You won't find more satisfaction or fulfillment in any other relationship. There a right relationship with Almighty God is better than. And y'all, it will form the basis. Your relationship with God, with Him not only being your Savior, but Lord, will form the basis for every other relationship. And I would say every other pursuit in life. If that relationship with God is the way it should be, not only Savior, but Lord, and it's in that, not that we're perfect, okay, but we, we realize He is Lord and needs to be Lord, and I'm willingly submitted to Him. Okay, and I willingly give myself a living sacrifice every day to the Lord. When that relationship is right, then God will give the right place and purpose in life, I guess you would say, to every other relationship that you have or he wants you to have. I know that, again, these are simple, but think about it. If my relationship with God is right, not only that I'm a Christian, but I'm really sold out to the Lord. Yeah, I got a lot, he's got a lot of work to do in my life. A long way to make me more like Jesus. I understand that. But the commitment's there. I think about it like the prodigal son. When he came to himself in the pig pen, starving to death, in a, a much, amongst a bunch of strangers that didn't love him, no man gave to him. It was a time of a famine. He's getting full on the pig food. And he came to himself. Praise God, he did. The light bulb came on. Wait a minute. My, my dad's servants do better off than this. My dad's hired help. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. So there's, there's an acknowledgement of that sin. And against you, I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's the humility. If we, if we humble ourselves before God, He'll lift us up. But he realized it and he began to go home. And the Lord took him. His father met him. And, and we, we know the whole story. But when that relationship is right, y'all, every other relationship is going to find its proper place. He had a lot of work still to be done in his life. He probably still smelled like the pig pen when he got home. When he first got home, his father hugged him. Right? But in his heart, the commitment was there. That's what I'm talking about the commitment to Christ. It's not speaking of our perfection, our, you know, like we're already can't get any holier than we are. We can't get any more mature Christ like than they are. I'm talking, but this commitment can be there, right? The commitment to Jesus Christ can be 100%. And that's the way it should be. And when that commitment to Christ is 100%, then God will make you the husband that you should be. God will make you the wife that you should be. God will make you the parent that you should be. The son and daughter, the mother, the father, the friend you should be. The employee that you should be. The employer that you should be. God will take every other relationship in life when He is the Lord of that life and He'll give the meaning and the purpose and success, if you want to call it that, 
and in every other avenue of life that He has for you. If He is not Lord of every area of my life personally as an individual, when I wake up in the mornings, then everything else is going to be out of balance. It's going to be out of whack. There will be pursuits. We'll chase rabbits, okay? Going down a rabbit trail. As a believer, I'm chasing down this, and I get down there six months, six years, however long, and I realize that didn't satisfy me. I need to get back to Jesus. I need to get back to Him being Lord. Not that this was sinful, but it was not what He had for me, and it was out of balance because He wasn't on the throne of my heart and on the throne of my life. And when I put Him there and allow Him to be there, then He will make me... You know, some people pursue after their children. They want to be the best parent that ever walked on the planet. That's not a bad thing. But we'll, we'll get... We'll, oh, we need family time, so we're not going to church Sunday. I mean, think about it. The absurdity of it. We're going to miss church because we want family time. Or we're going to miss... prayer. We didn't have time for prayer time because they had, the kids had to get their homework done. We didn't have time for prayer time to read the Bible because we're going to the Little League game. I'm not criticizing. I'm saying those things sound noble, but they're not the most noble. There's something above that. And if I will put what should be first first, God will take care of the Little League games and the homework and the finances and everything else. He will do it. I promise you, or else He's a liar and He's not. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's what He says. Either He means it or He doesn't mean it. Okay? And so everything else will find its place and its blessing and its fruit. Every other relationship, every pursuit will find its fruit in Christ. Christ being fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is what? The when asked, what's the first, I'm not the Great Commission, the first and greatest commandment of the Bible. We understand what it is. And first and great here means foremost in order and importance. The chief, the best, the beginning. So the first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, all of your soul. Love the Lord with all of these faculties and abilities that we have to love all. But then we're told that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's going to come out of my relationship with God. Right? It's going to come out of that. And parents, you know, love your children. Don't provoke them and so forth. It all will come out of that first one. Everyone will come out of that first one. It's a relationship of faith in which the man, the individual person that's saved willingly and joyfully gives themselves over to God. Just like in a marriage where the two people willingly, it's not, we're not talking about a shotgun wedding, we're talking about two people that have willingly said, I do to each other. I want to give myself to you for now and for all times. And, and this person says, well, that's good because I want to give myself to you for now and for all times. That's the relationship that we enter into with the Lord. He's so much better than we are. It's not even an equal partnership. He's, he's so much more wonderful than we are. He picks us up out of our sin, out of the miry clay and cleanses us. But He calls us His own. He calls us His sons and daughters. He calls us our, our, His friends. And that's an amazing thing. And the Father has made us join heirs with Jesus Christ. It, it's really incredible 
but we willingly surrender all to the Lord. And when I say all, I mean all of our very life is given to Jesus. That would include our hopes that we have growing up or in this stage of your life, hopes and dreams that you have for your life, for your plans, your future, all you possess, your physical body, it all belongs to Jesus. I'm not standing up here as one that is perfected in this area. I'm standing up here preaching the truth from God's Word because it's the truth. Okay, Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a man sees by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and all His beauty and all His glory, and Damien and Katie read the Scripture this morning from 2 Corinthians 3 about, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we see the glory of the Lord. When a man by faith sees the Lord Jesus, you don't have to beg him to surrender his life to the Lord. It's not really the job of a pastor to make you and beg you to come to church and thank the Lord I don't have to do that, okay? For myself or for you. Or to twist your arm to come to Sunday school. When, when we see Jesus, it would be my job to exalt Jesus that you'd see Him. Because when you see the Lord, and when a man sees the Lord, he has no problem in surrendering. It's when that vision gets cloudy and we get our eyes off of the Lord. Even as a believer, we get our eyes off of the Lord. We get our eyes on a good thing instead of the best thing. We get our eyes onto our children instead of the one who gave us the children. We get our eyes off onto something other than the Lord. Then it gets the vision gets cloudy. We get out of whack. The ship gets off course. We start drifting. We still belong to Him. But He's always going to guide us by His Word and other believers and the Holy Ghost. And He's going to try to bring us back into that narrow way and that narrow focus. So, Jesus has to be seen. When a man sees the Lord, the Son of God, lifted up, slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible says that He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. And when we see this God lifted up, then a man has no trouble. A man, I believe, will gladly surrender to the Lord and say, take it. Take it all. So it's my responsibility, even for my own life, to bring the Lord into that place of prominence. To bring Him into that, to where I see Him. I don't just read His Word and close it. I don't just say a few prayers and get that out of the way and go about my day. But that I meet with the Lord and see Him and really commune with Him. And let Him touch my heart. And let Him satisfy my heart. And then I'll, it's, it's so easy when we do that. To, to sur- so much easier to surrender to the Lord because nothing else compares to God when we really see Him. We say, well, how foolish I was to pursue after this. Or to put my trust in this. Or to think that this over here was going to satisfy me. When it's really only the, the Lord Jesus. Uh, I understand... When I say it's easy to surrender, I understand a walk with God in this life. It's a sinful world we live in. It's hard. I don't mean that a walk with God is easy. I'm saying even in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of a sinful world that doesn't know our Lord and Savior, and all that comes with it is still a joy to live with for the Lord. If we'll see Him and put Him first in everything. Jesus said, if any man will come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. That is a commandment. That is a, constru- uh, a command or an instruction from anybody that will come after the Lord. Everybody does not. 
But if a man will come after me, here's what he has to do. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I think too often uh, we may look at what we have to give up to follow Jesus as opposed to what we have in Christ. I'm going to miss out if I really live for God. And that's when, when I talked about that compromised time of my life that was my last year of high school and my time at LSU for sure. And I know that I've gotten, gotten into this mindset at other points in my life, but I really remember it then. Is that we, we think the devil wants to tell us all that we have to give up. There is a surrender. It's an absolute surrender to Jesus. That's not a lie. But he wants us to focus only on all you have to give up. Randy, if you go, if you live for God now, those friends that you've had from junior high through high school, through your fraternity, and all that, you're going to lose all of them. You know what? Maybe I will and maybe I won't, but all the devil wanted me to see, you're going to lose that. He didn't tell me about other friends I was going to get in Jesus, okay? If you, he, the devil wants us to look, and a lot of times our flesh cooperates with that, okay? All we have to give up. You have to give up your career. You have to give up this. You have to give up that in order, uh, you know, all your worldly pleasures that we have to give up. And, and I would say, God help us to rejoice in all that we have in Jesus. Help me to see all that I've gained, all that I now possess in Christ, and all that is out there for me. The world doesn't offer joy unspeakable and full of glory. The world doesn't offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The world doesn't offer uh, peace that passes the world's understanding. The world doesn't offer these things. It comes through knowing Christ. It comes through knowing Jesus. And it's an awesome thing to know the Lord. And and, uh, He wants us to know that. And I'll just read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Well, I go to the Bible and I read that passage. And God, by His Holy Spirit, begins to show me and every believer what I have in Christ, the things that are freely given to us of God. But if my thoughts are always on a world... And, you know, I'm so glad I'm saved, but I sure wish I could live like my lost friend over there. I mean, honestly, the, the psalmist said how foolish I was to be envious of the wicked. And sometimes we be envious of the wicked. And it's foolish. And I've been foolish before. We've all done it. We have to repent and come back and say, no, they don't. It says he, he was foolish and he could barely stand it. This is Asaph in the Psalms. He about... He almost slipped, he said, and stopped serving God. It says until he went into the house of God and God showed them. So he had to go to the Lord. He had to go to the house of God and get with nobody else and no distractions, him and the Lord. And when he met with the Lord in the house of the Lord, the Lord showed this man who at that time was being foolish and jealous of the wicked. God showed him their end. What's the end of the wicked? And when God showed them the end of the wicked, he just repented and God, forgive me, I was foolish. I can't believe that I was uh, envious of that. It reminds me a lot of Moses. I go to Moses all the time when it says in Hebrews 11 that by faith he forsook the pleasures of, of Egypt, right? That was hid the treasures of Egypt because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. 
and he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to uh, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible said he had a respect for the reward that was coming as faith, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Once Jesus is lifted up and put on the throne in my mind and in my heart and in my life, the other things just fade away in glory. They fade away in importance. They fade away and I don't pursue after them anymore. In fact, I have pity for those that do and want to go bring the Gospel to those that are pursuing after these things. The Bible says, uh, and that He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto Him which died for them and rose again. And y'all, the commitment to the Lord that we a man is to make, He died that we would come to Him. We would come to Him by faith, and that in coming to Him by faith, we would be fully His. Fully His. Now and forever, in good times and bad times, just like uh, marriage vows, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, all the way with Jesus Christ, through this earthly life and right into His heaven that He has for us. But there's not to be any detour. There's not to be any other Lord. There's to be Jesus Christ as being the Lord. Pray for that and seek that relationship with the Lord that in, in everything he, ever, he would have the preeminence as the Scriptures say. Colossians 1.18 he, he is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body. The whole church. And that would include my me as well. The church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, speaking of Jesus, that in all things He might have the preeminence. In all things, He might have the preeminence. In all things, in this church, in our church services, it wouldn't be like we want it to be. It would be like God wants it to be. It would have it to be. And if we'd be a praying people, we'd hear from Him. If we'd be a people of the Word, we'd go to His Word, we'd know what this church is supposed to be. This church right here. Your life, your marriage, your uh, workplace, everything, it will be what God would have it to be. Uh, all those that have gone before us would tell us it's worth it, right? The Bible, for this wonderful Word of God that we have from Genesis to Revelation, would tell us it's worth it. It's worth it to live fully for God, not partially for God. Not 90%, not halfway. It's worth it. They will tell you, well, wasn't it hard? Wasn't it difficult? Didn't you have struggles? Yes, I did. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Would you do it the same way again? I would. I would do it. I would live for God. I've said it before myself. I believe it. I've never met one person that lived for God. I mean, lived for the Lord that regretted it. I've met people that wished they had lived for God. I wished I had done it different. I wished I'd have been sold out to the Lord earlier in life. I wished I hadn't compromised. I wished I'd had it witnessed to more people. I've met people like that, but I've never met anybody who sold out to God and said, you know, I wish I'd have done things differently. I really regret living for God. It almost sounds absurd to even say it because we know that there's not a higher thing than a man living for the Lord. And we need to examine our own lives this morning. We're about to close here in a moment. But whatever in your life I'm not talking to families. I'm not talking to couples. I'm talking to one person at a time, including myself. Is there anything in your life that fights for that allegiance? There, we all have things that fights for that allegiance, for that preeminence. Could be a good thing. It could be a wonderful thing. But anything that's fighting in your life, or maybe it has it right now, 
that preeminence in your life where Jesus is not really sitting and reigning completely on the throne of my heart. He's reigning partly on the throne of my heart and in my life. And God wants us to think about it and get that thing off of there. If we need God to help us, and we do, He will help us to do that. We ask Him to forgive us, but we also ask Him for help. Lord, I admit and I confess and I know it's a sin. This has a hold of my life. I've made it an idol. I've let it usurp the authority in my life that only you should have. And I've allowed it. I don't know how it crept in, but it crept in. And it's there now. And I confess it to you. I pray not only that you would forgive me of that, but you would help me to dethrone that from my life. And let you sit fully. Would you come back and reign and rule completely? I've never met anybody that regretted living for God all the way. The Apostle Paul, once he met Jesus, a persecutor of Christians, thought he was serving God, zealous for the law, then he met Jesus, who he didn't even know. He got saved. He got born again. Later, the the prophet Agabus gives this prophecy. If you go back to Jerusalem, you're going to be killed there. He gives that where he binds his girdle up and said, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this girdle. And Paul says, what mean you to weep and break my heart? I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, it's you, you can't. It's not going to stop me. The fact that you have prophesied, and it was a true prophecy, not a mocking of the prophecy. The prophecy was true. He said that's not going to stop me because they begged him, "Don't go, Paul. Don't go. Don't go." Agabus says, "You go there. He's a real prophet. You're going to go there. You're going to be bound up. It's going to be horrible." He says, "Quit crying. My life is his." The whole thing says already. I should have been dead in my sins and trespasses. I'm living on borrowed time. I'm living on God's time. Don't weep and try to break my heart. I belong to Him. And He went there and He, he was bound. And it began the, the beginning of the end for Paul. And he testified of the Lord Jesus Christ all along the way from prison to prison everywhere he went. Don't let anything keep you from loving and serving your Savior, the Almighty Lord, with your whole life. Don't let anything keep you. Don't let good things keep you. Certainly don't let sinful things. Nothing else compares. Nothing else is so sweet and wonderful as knowing God and loving God and being loved by Him and loving Him with my whole heart. The Bible says that that uh, He satisfies the longing soul. Oh, the men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men, for He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He's the only one that can do that. Nobody else can do it. So whatever else we're pursuing after is going to leave us empty. We'll be disappointed. God's kind. He'll still be there. Amen? If we're, even there, if we're there now. But He is that pearl of great price. And you know that little parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. So he's looking for them. A merchant man was seeking goodly pearls. It says when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and went and bought. It bought that one pearl of great price. And it's like, this is the one thing that I wanted. Others, may it may look foolish to other people what I've done. To me, it's not. Because this is what I was seeking. And this fulfilled me. He sold everything that he had and he bought that one pearl of great price and he wasn't disappointed. Because he said the kingdom of heaven is like this. We're not going to be disappointed in the Lord and the way He fulfills us. I give another 
illustration of William Booth. You know, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army in London. J. Wilbur Chapman, who's a, an American evangelist, was over there visiting one time, and, and William Booth was older. He was well into his 80s and had lived a life in a ministry. And Dr. Chapman said, what's the secret of your success? And Dr. Uh, William Booth hesitated for a second. He says, uh, Chapman says, I saw the tears start streaming down from his eyes. And he said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth that there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my life and my will, and all the influence of my life. And it has to be the all. It couldn't have been he wanted, he wanted to keep a really good career in life and help the poor out on the side. Now, if God called him to that, that would have been one thing. But God consumed his heart with a burden for the poor people and the homeless and so forth of, of London. Big old, big city. And once he was burdened, God was able to burden him with his own burden. God put his burden on the man. And the man surrendered fully to him. And then out of that came tremendous success in, in, the, in the heavenly realm, in a spiritual sense. And unbelievable things that God was able to do through that. And Lord, guys, I'm going to close with this, but you, you and I could search the world over a thousand times. From end to end, from person to person, from a beautiful sight to entertainment to everything we could ever imagine, and we would never find the equal of the Lord. You'd never find His equal. He forgives. He satisfies. He fulfills. He comforts. He loves. He strengthens. He blesses. He speaks to us. He guides us through this life when we don't know what in the world we're supposed to do. He knows us. He cares for us. He helps us. He desires us to be with Him. And He with us. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Any other life besides that life, a fully surrendered life to Jesus, and I'm talking even to Christians, any other life besides that life is just existing. It's not really living. Because He's the way, the truth, and the life. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so abundant life comes in knowing Jesus and in being fully surrendered to His will. Everything else is just trying to get by. Trying this, trying this, hoping this works. Um, people find themselves sinning. They find Even believers can find themselves sinning, sinking, failing, trying to figure it all out, and yet the Lord's the answer the whole time. Y'all can come up. You can come. I'm going to close with one more illustration. I thought it was wonderful. God first. My interest must always come second to His, never first. Dr. Graham Scroge was one time speaking on a sermon along those lines about seeking first the kingdom of God. And there was a young woman 
I was a professing Christian. I've been greatly stirred by all this. And she came up to him at the end of the service and she was greatly troubled. And he said, why don't you yield? Dr. Scroge said to her. She said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I would have to do two things if I did. What are they? He asked. I play the piano in a concert hall and I fear I would have to give that up, she replied. And the other? I'm afraid that God would send me to China as a missionary. Opening his Bible to Acts 10.14, he turns and he reads the Scripture. This is where the Lord is dealing with Peter. And he's on the rooftop praying. He has the vision. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. But nothing unclean or common has ever come into my mouth. The Lord tells him three times and gives, gives him the vision three times. And Dr. Scroge reads this verse to the woman. Not so, Lord. And he explained to the young woman the absurdity of Peter's answer. A slave never dictates. And to say not so and then use the word Lord was impossible. Now, said Dr. Scroge, I want you to cross out the two words, not so, and leave the word Lord. Or else I want you to cross out the word Lord and leave the word not so. Handing her his pencil, he quietly walked away. For two hours she struggled. Then she re- he returned and looking over her shoulder, it says he saw the tear-stained page, but the words not so were crossed out. And with a glad light in her eyes, she left and went home, repeating over the one word, Lord. No longer would she dictate. She was now His disciple, and He her Lord and Master. Father, we just come before You this morning. These altars are open. I want to encourage You to get up. I want to encourage You to move to a place where You haven't been sitting, even though it's crowded. I want to encourage You to find the most private place you can in this cramped sanctuary of ours. If you want to go into this room off to the side, if you want to go behind me, we're not going to fellowship right now. This is our time with the Lord. And you find a place and you meet with God. And you get on your knees before the Lord. And let's do what the Word of God says. And let's allow this wonderful God and Savior this pearl of great price, that we would sell everything that we might have this one pearl, that we would stop pursuing after things in life that are not going to satisfy. We'll seek to know the will of God and we'll seek for the strength to walk in the will of God. And in so doing, we're going to find our satisfaction. And Lord, we thank You that You satisfy the longing soul. You personally fill the hungry soul with goodness. And God, we give ourselves to You right now, Lord Jesus. These other things in life are not necessarily in and of themselves sinful or wicked. But God, they're not the best. And You tell us to seek after the best. Jesus Christ is better. And Lord, just like this young woman that Dr. Scroge talked to, Lord, let us either scratch out the words not so and leave the word Lord or scratch out Lord and leave not so. Lord, they don't go together. And Lord, we yield to Your Lordship this morning. We thank You for dying on a cruel wooden cross for our sins, rising again from the dead in power. We thank You for the forgiveness of sins that we have through faith in Jesus. 
But Lord, I also thank You for the life that we have in Jesus. In this life, in the eternal life into the next, God. And all through this life, You satisfy. And all through this life, You strengthen us and help us. And You love us and You comfort us. You didn't die so that we would be partially committed to You. You died that we would be Yours. Fully Yours. I didn't marry my wife so she would belong to me and some other man. And Lord, You didn't die so that we would belong to You and some other God. So Lord, we give ourselves fully to You. And I just want to encourage you, give yourself to the Lord this morning. You give yourself over to Him fully. You ask Him to show you, Lord, is there any area of my life that's not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? You might, might already know what it is and He's already dealing with you about it. You might pray that prayer and He shows you. You might go home today and He shows you. But if you'll ask Him, He'll show you. Is there anything in my life? And Lord, what is it? And then Lord, give me the faith and the strength by Your Holy Spirit not only to forgive me, God, but to surrender that over to You. You're the rightful owner of my life. You purchased me, Your Word says, on the blood. You, with Your blood on the cross. You paid the price to redeem this slave from the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin. And I belong to You. And I give myself fully to You, Lord. And I'm excited about being fully Yours. And I'm excited about all that You're going to do in my life. All that You want to do. There's many things that have not been done yet in my life that You want to do. And I want You to do them all, God. Fulfill all of Your purposes in my life, God. In Jesus' name. You just pray and seek the Lord.